Well, we are continuing in the series in First Peter, and we're going to be in chapter 4 today, starting at verse 1. And we are calling this today a message for the dead. A message for the dead. Uh, you know, we, we, uh, I invite you to go ahead and, and find that, but let me make a little comments, a few comments as we get started. You know, in the, in the midst of all this craziness that's going on that I referred to as in our, in prayer today, in our nation, um, part of the problem may be that we just have it too easy and so we don't have like any great things that are like uniting us as a nation. We're just sort of getting involved in small, um, things that really should no longer be issues for us, and uh, and part of it may be that we just live in a in an era, a time of unprecedented ease and convenience. I mean, think about all our conveniences. We we could very well be taking them for granted. Think think for example, think about how you get around transportation. When my grandparents and even my parents, when they were very young, needed transportation, someone had to hitch the horses to a wagon. Horses that needed to be fed and watered and shooed and that came out of stalls that needed to be shoveled out, right? Um, not me. I just get in the car and drive, all right? In fact, I now have a car that locks its own doors and opens the door, unlocks the doors for me. In a few years, we will all be having cars that will drive us around. We don't even have to think about driving anymore. When I go home, a motion sensor turns off the lights. In the bathroom, I, I, uh, I notice that any public restroom I go to will flush the toilet for me, turn the tap on for me, and hand me a paper towel. I don't have to do anything. It's just all so easy. My phone gives me driving directions, tells me how to get around, so I don't have to think about that. Having Google actually means I don't have to memorize anything about anyone ever again. I don't even need to know my times tables. I didn't. I waited till we dismissed the children before we mentioned that. But I can say, Google, what's four times seven? And Google will tell me. I'm not going to tell you whether or not I know the answer to that, because the point is, I don't need to know. It's so easy right now. We live very differently from generations before us. We don't pump water by hand. We don't use oil lamps to light the house. No one's got to stoke up the wood stove so we can make dinner. Don't talk to me about the good old days. There's nothing good about We have it really easy right now. Really, really good. Most probably live in the best time ever. But here's the problem. All that comfort probably means we live a little bit carelessly. And maybe even selfishly. Because the gospel then comes along. The message of Christ comes along. And offers God's free and unmerited gift of salvation just by faith just by believing again sounds really easy but to our shock the gospel also says and die to yourself die to your comforts die to your conveniences to your safety to your preferences your pleasures and your privileges so that you can be fully alive for christ and live for the benefit of others I don't, it feels like, well, wait a second. I thought we were talking like just, we got it easy, we've arrived, it's just something happened in there. And, and you might ask the question, what, you mean my, my comfortable life is not mine to do with as I please? That's right. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a believer in Christ, 
your comfortable life is not yours to do with as you please. Well, why would that be? It's because we model our lives after Christ Jesus. We live in the way of Christ. Maybe I'm getting ahead a little bit. So let's pause. Let's read the passage that we have. First Peter chapter 4. We start at verse 1. I read from the New Living Translation. And as you have that, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. When you read from a paper Bible or from an app, it makes no difference. Let's start at First Peter 4. He says this, So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude He had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you'll be anxious to do the will of God. You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust and their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. Verse 4 says, Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. But remember, they will have to face God who will judge everyone, both the living and the dead. And that is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. Let's be seated and thank the Lord for His Word. Well, if we are going to be like Christ Jesus, which is the goal of the Christ follower and the command in Scripture, it starts with an attitude. And an attitude is always, always, an attitude is always a choice that happens in your mind. It's a decision that you make, whether whether I'm a critical person or a stubborn person or if I'm helpful or joyful or optimistic or in any way, in every single case, an attitude, my attitude is a mental choice. Now, Peter says you must arm yourselves with the same attitude as Christ. Well, what is that attitude? It's, he says here, it's the willingness to suffer as a pathway to a holy life and as a testimony to your unbelieving friends. You must arm yourselves with the same attitude as Christ. Well, what does he mean? What does that mean, arm yourself? Well, literally, it's just, it's, it's, it is a military term. That's choosing an attitude is like a soldier engaged and ready with a weapon in hand. That's the, that's the, Readiness factor. And we, we would, you could say, if you're taking notes today in the, in the insert in your program the, with the fill in blanks there, you could say it this way, that your mind is a spiritual battleground. I mean, if you ask any person who has struggled with addiction, any person who's wanted to change their lifestyle, try a new way of eating, uh, learn something new in, in school or whatever... It's always a choice. The battle is won or lost in the mind. That person knows that before they ever get to that point of like, will I do this or not do this? Will I eat cake or not cake? The decision happened in the mind long before they got there. The mind is a spiritual battlefield. And, and that's, you know, we're invited to arm ourselves for that battle. Now, a few years ago, my sons and I, we stumbled on um, a great 80s TV show that you know I had watched when I was young, um, called the A Team. 
Who watched the A-Team when you're young? Oh, yeah. Da, 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 da. Such a great show. We just had a blast watching that, that series. Each episode, of course, has the A-Team. They come out and they deliver, you know, vigilante justice in some heroic fashion. And they could take any scenario and they would turn it into like a strategic battlefield or battle zone, battle scene, whatever. And... Um, and, uh, and then they would always arm themselves accordingly for the task at hand. And I will say this about 80s television. It's just, it's funny now to watch. It seems so innocent and naive and all the corny sound, sound effects and special effects. And, and I did notice this in 80s television. Nobody ever dies. They only get knocked out or maybe injured. Yeah, but they make great dying sound effects. Ah! But they, no one actually gets really badly hurt. You don't see blood or anything like that today, like where they just splattered on the screen just for effect. No, it was a, it was a great time anyway. And who wouldn't want to hang out with Mr. T? I'm pretty the fool, Mr. T. So anyway, if you have never watched that, look it up on Netflix. It's really hilarious. You, you will just die like You'll be like, I cannot believe our pastor said that that was cool. I didn't say it was cool. I said it was fun to watch. All right. Very big difference. Very big difference. All right. In the same way, like the A-team, right, we are to take that kind of deliberate, always ready, fortifying position. But it's, it's a mental position. It's in the mind. To arm ourselves with a Christ-like attitude of a willingness, get this, a willingness to suffer. We want to be elevated? No, we're have, supposed to have a willingness to suffer like a soldier dressing for battle. And the benefit, according to Peter, is this. In the second half of verse 1 to verse 2, he says, if you've suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. If you've suffered physically, you've finished with sin. We're going to come back to that line in a moment. But I want to say this, that the attitude... And the posture of this does not happen by accident. You just don't stumble into it. It's deliberate. And so if you're taking notes, you can write it this way. It's a question I want to ask you. Are you living life on purpose for a purpose? Are you living life on purpose for a purpose? We've talked about this before. This is not a new subject for us. But let's think about purpose for a moment. All right? Just consider your life right now. You're sort of 9 to 5 or your your 24-hour a day life. Let's Let's put it in that terms. Right? Your, your Monday to Sunday life. Is there anything, you can ask yourself this question. Is there anything in my daily life that is specifically in alignment with God's will? And when I think about my activities, my, my, my habits, my practices, is there anything in my life that I intentionally am aligned with God's will? Or do I just get up, go to work, come home, watch a bit of TV, uh, play a little ball, whatever, and carry on with the next day? Like, am I, am I just sort of like letting life happen to me? Or is there anything where I deliberately say, this aligns me to God's will in my life? In other words, are you living on purpose for a purpose? The purpose being to do God's will. We, we sometimes hear talk about believers around the world who, who suffer physically for their commitment to Christ, the persecuted church, persecuted believers. And Peter who's been talking about suffering a lot through this whole letter, says those who suffer for Christ are done with sin. Well, that's quite a statement to say they're done with sin. Peter's not saying that these are now sinless people. But let's be honest. Physical suffering would have a clarifying, purifying 
calibrating impact on your life. Um, you know, we would really be less inclined to keep diving into things like, you know, profanity and gossip and pornography and, and whatever else that kind of besets our life if we were suffering for our faith. I mean, those who put their very lives on the line for Christ, those who have to make a life and death choice, do I follow Jesus and risk dying or do I deny Christ and, and possibly keep my physical life? Those people, right, are all in for Christ and they are not playing church they're not just trying to be nice people and just kind of go to church and look good. That, that is not their concern at that point. Because this might come as news to you, but Jesus did not go to the cross to make you a nicer person. Can I just say that? Jesus did not go to the cross so we could all be a bunch of nice people and be nice to each other and have nice places and nice smiles and nice cars. And That's not why Jesus went to the cross. Jesus went to the cross... Because you and I, in our sin, are dead people. And because we are dead, Jesus sacrificed his life and offers to exchange his life for your life. Your death for his death. And in so doing, you can be fully alive in Christ. That's why Jesus went to the cross. To make you alive. It has nothing to do with making you a nicer person. Now, you can be a kinder person. right? You can be a more generous person. You can do all those things. But it's not about just being nicer people. Trying harder. Playing church. Not, we're not here to live for ourselves. We are here to live by the will of God for the benefit of others. If we're alive in Christ, we live intentionally on purpose for a purpose. Now, keep in mind, Peter was writing to people who knew how to sin. These people knew how to sin. He, 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 he's, um, you know, just a few pages back, if you read back, I think it's in chapter 2, Peter has very wonderful um, descriptions of these people. He says, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who calls you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's this pretty magnificent sounding people, right? And they were sinners. And they were sinners. Because the language here in, in um, I think it's in verse 3, is indicates to us that these people formerly indicated in some pretty hardcore partying. New Living Translation puts it as immorality and lust, feasting, drunkenness, wild parties, terrible worship of idols, which is kind of a PG translation. It's kind of a softened translation of what's actually there. Words that you don't typically hear in church, like debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Real wicked stuff. And I'm here to tell you, sin is nothing new. If you think we live in kind of a in a moral kind of cesspool these days, nothing is new. Nothing is new. They knew all about that stuff. And he's saying, you were doing that stuff. And Peter says, now, now that you don't do those things, your partying friends are mocking you for not joining in with what they do. Now, I can look around this room, and I know enough of you to know that lifestyle was not typically what many of us came from, but whether or not you did, whether or not that's true, it's still easy to think and look around and think that, well, everybody else seems to be having more fun than I'm having. Well, everybody seems to be having a good time and I'm really not. And Peter's warning you, yes, but they will have to answer to God for their lifestyle, for their behavior, for their actions. And that won't be a good result. And Peter says, you're, you're done with that sinful lifestyle. 
So let's not make excuses for why we would want to keep doing that. There's a better way. You've been set free from those, those things. Now, conversely, and if you're taking notes, this is your third one there. You can fill this one in. You never have to excuse good behavior. You never have to excuse good behavior. Um, you might have excused some bad behavior. Apologize for it. I, you know, I came to Christ at a very young age, but I, you know, I will confess to you, I did not always live the best example of a Christian. If you grew up in church, you probably cannot relate to this, but I will just tell you this, that there are some moments that I can look back in my teens and 20s and beyond um, that I wish I could do over. I'd love to have some do-overs. There's some moments of embarrassment and regret where I you know, look back and say, wow, I, I did not represent Jesus very well in that time and that place in my life, that moment. And it is a terrible moment when you realize I'm a really bad testimony right now. I am really not reflecting Jesus the way I ought to right now. That is a, it just gives pain to your heart to, to realize that. Now, we don't live there. We don't stay there. We've been rescued out of that. But the good news is you don't have to apologize. You don't have to, you know, regret good behavior. Because, you know, on the other hand, when your friends are behaving badly and you don't join in, even if you used to, even if it's something as simple as, you know, we talk about so our conduct in social media or, you know, those break room conversations that aren't very good or a financial deal that's just kind of a little bit, kind of sort of shady or not quite appropriate. Right? We, when we don't join in with those things, you will never have to look back on that moment with embarrassment or regret. You will never have to say, oh, I blew it. Instead, you're living in those moments in front of your friends in such a way as to to demonstrate how to live a great life without the artificial props of a sinful lifestyle. You never have to excuse good behavior. But there's another side of this for many of us in this room, and that is that, that nearly everyone, at least this is the case in my life, nearly everyone we know, nearly everyone I know, is already a believer in Jesus. So for us... You know, that almost we feel like, well, that doesn't really apply. We, we don't have any of those kind of friendships. And we need to find friendships with folks who need the gospel. We, we don't have partying friends who will slander us for not living in their way. Well, what does Peter say about that? He, he, let me pick it up at verses 5 and 6. In fact, we've got it on the screen here in a slightly different version. He says, but they, your unbelieving friends, they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. All right, let me unpack that just briefly if we can, a little bit. Because um, we had some of these really challenging verses last Sunday, and I want to just touch back on them. I thought Janice did a tremendous job last week helping us with that. But... Um, as we talked about last Sunday, this is not saying that the gospel is being proclaimed to the physically dead, those who are now physically dead, so that they can now convert and come to Christ. This is not what Peter is saying here. Uh, what would help us is to consider some of the pagan context. Remember, we're we're in we're in early or we're in you know ancient Roman civilization, so two thousand years ago, 
and uh, very religious in many ways, but filled with idolatry and somewhat like Eastern philosophy or Eastern religions today, they would have believed that in this life you'll be judged, you sort of answer for your behavior in this life or what today's vernacular we would say karma you know you got got to watch out for karma what goes around comes around the, you know and they they would have kind of believed that but that death was this big reset button you hit you hit death and you're in the clear it's all done you're fine and that that all would have this kind of the same destination and death but you know as long as you can get through this life okay um you're going to be fine but the the gods as they would have understood them may judge the living but Hades consumes the dead. So don't worry about it. Just get through this life and then it doesn't matter what happens after that. But Peter here reminds us that that's not actually true. Death is not a big reset button sending us all to the same fate. Instead, God will judge the living and the dead. The living, those still alive when Jesus returns, and the dead, those who have already passed away. So there's no escaping from what's to come, right? That's why the gospel, this message that... We're only saved by faith in Jesus. That's why it applies to those of us who are alive now. And it applies to those who are dead now. Because God will judge the living and he will judge the dead. Now, there's another layer of meaning in here. Let's peel, this, peel another layer off. And that is, without Christ, we are already dead. Spiritually dead. I might be in my body, but I am Without Christ, I am spiritually dead. And, and then eternal death is our eternal fate. So you and I, if you're a follower in Jesus, you can say that you know we were dead in sin without Christ. And your friends and your relatives and, and co-workers and so on that haven't trusted Jesus are dead, spiritually dead, with an eternal destination of being dead. And as Peter says in verse 6, the good news needs to be preached then to the dead. That is, to those who are spiritually dead and those who will be physically dead. So I'm going to ask it this way. I'll ask you one more question today if you're taking notes of this one. Do you have any dead friends? Do you have any dead friends? I mean, if we're going to make Christ Jesus known from our communities to the world, we'll need to know and love some friends who are not already alive in Christ. We need dead friends with whom we can share good news. I know, this is, this is hard for many of us. You know, I, I was raised, as many perhaps that you were, some others of you were, I was raised to stay away from sinners. They were bad. We're supposed to be separate from the world. And separate from worldly things. And to, to not participate in sinful deeds. And therefore, not associate with sinful people. Uh, I've often kind of tried to tell you, little, give you little glimpses into my upbringing. And, you know, as many, many, many years ago, when I was in high school, I was involved in, in the student life there and responsible for a lot of events, including school dances. But I was forbidden by my parents to attend school dances. And I remember some pretty intense conversations with my father and, uh, and also having to figure out creative ways to get to the dances, which that's probably not one of those things I regret. But anyway... Um, but I remember my dad saying, and he was being as honest as he could, and of course having been raised in that same sort of kind of understanding, it's that dancing isn't wrong. It's what happens there that's a problem. 
Now, he was a teacher in the school, and so he was privy to a lot more things than I was at that time. So looking back now, I'm like, oh, I get it now, right? But at the time, I did not get that. And But the idea was you just don't associate with those folks. And that the problem was we take you know, Christians out of places where we could have some, quote, dead friends. And our Protestant Reformation faith stream, we're, we're, Bethany Church is probably part of what's called Anabaptists or Anabaptism. And in that stream, we've been for 500 years been saying, be separate. Don't associate with, with the sinners. You know, come out from the, from the world. And, and there's t-shirts and bumper stickers that reinforce this all the time. You see it around town. There's a Christian clothing company called NOTW, not of this world. And, uh, you know, they've got great stuff. I love t-shirts that, you know, promote a conversation and a testimony. You know, don't mishear me on that. I love that. But it can reinforce the message that, you know, don't associate with anybody who's, who's not a Christian. Right? But then, where does this idea come from? This not of this world. Well, that comes from Jesus. Right? Jesus prayed for his, his own followers. He prayed to God for his disciples in this. In John chapter 17, let's read this. I'll read this for you on the screen. This is Jesus praying for his disciples. He says, I've given them your word. And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world, and I can give myself as a holy sacrifice uh, for them so they can be made holy by your truth. Johnny, can you just go back one slide? Right? So right in the middle, I'm not asking you to take them. Uh, he says, they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. Okay? That's where we get this world, not of this world mentality. But then Jesus says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world but to keep them safe. And then we go to the next slide. I Right in the middle, I am sending them into the world. See, to be separate from the world does not mean rejecting the people around you who are not believers or avoiding them. Jesus wants you to live unlike everyone around, but he, he not only does not yank you out of this world, he actually sends you into it with a message of the gospel. Because we're surrounded by people who need the gospel and every Christ follower is a gospel messenger. Listen, messaging the gospel is not just my job. It's not just like those of like some spiritual like super giants, right? It's every person who's a follower of Jesus. If you've been a follower of Jesus for one day, you're a messenger of the gospel. I was lost and now I'm found. I was dead and now I'm alive. And, and, uh, that's, the, that's the message. So Peter has, you know, has reminded his readers here of this one simple hope fueling truth that you've left a dead life of sin to be alive in Christ for the purpose of making Jesus known to the world around you. You're not saved so you can keep this all to yourself or to keep living the same old sinful way and, and then you know, uh, get a have a get out of jail free salvation card at the end. That, that's not why you were set free. You're not here just to kind of hang on until Jesus returns and rescues you. The gospel is that any of us, by faith in Jesus, can be saved, but we're saved for a purpose. And that's to do the will of God. The will of God is that all would be saved 
come to a knowledge of the truth. The Apostle Paul wrote that to Timothy. God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So, how about it? Are you, are you ready, am I ready, to live life with a message for the dead? The message that you can be alive by faith in Christ. What would it look like for you, what would it look like for me, to arm our minds with the willingness to suffer for Christ? In your daily life, what would it look like to say, I am willing to endure whatever it takes for Christ? What would it look like if we said, I'm going to live my life on purpose for a purpose? To live intentionally aligned with God's will in my daily life. What would it look like to leave your life of sin, even if your friends don't understand, even if they mock you, but to say, I'm done with that kind of rat race. What would it look like for you and for me to love and to lead spiritually dead people, our spiritually lost friends, to Christ? Think about the people you know, people you'd like to know, neighborhood you live in. What would it look like to live with that purpose? Let's pray together. God, we're grateful that we have today. We thank You that You've preserved Your Word for us. We don't want to take any of that for granted. We thank You, Jesus, that You're obedient to the cross. You suffered on our behalf. We're grateful. And God, as we consider these words from Peter to a, to a people who had been far from You and had been rescued and are now Your royal priesthood, Lord, we, we, are, this, we are in that same boat and we say, We want to live for You, Lord. And God, for those places where where I've held back, where I've not wanted to share the Gospel with the people around me, where I have been careless and callous about lost people around me, I ask God for You to forgive me and to give all of us that passion and desire to make You known to the world around us. Lord, we're not here just for our own benefit. We're here for the benefit of the lost. God, help us to really grab hold of that, I pray. God, we want to live life on purpose. And church, as we're just wrapping up here, I just would challenge you today to just be weighing this before the Lord. Say, Lord, am I living my life for Your will, for Your purposes? What would it look like for me to have a message for the dead? And ask the Lord to stir up in you that desire, that passion. To live in that way. And if you finally, if you're someone here, you've never come alive in Christ. You've never trusted Jesus to forgive you and make you a new person. Today would be a great day to do that. It's not difficult. You would simply pray, Lord Jesus, I trust you to forgive me and make me new. I, 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 I just surrender to you today. If that's your prayer today, if that's the prayer of your heart, and you pray that sincerely in your own way, Jesus, forgive me and give me a new life. you got to tell somebody, ask for some help. We can walk you through that. We explain that to you. We want that to be a reality. I don't want you to be dead anymore. I want you to be alive in Christ. For the rest of us, I don't want us to be sort of alive. I want us to be fully alive in Christ. The message for those who are dead. God, we thank You for Your Word. We give You our praise.